The year is 1980. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club, where we go through all of Marvel Comics from its origins today to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and today I'm joined by Dave, the only comic book podcaster who set up a successful secret academy to train mercenaries that was going fine until the science administrator he hired used his scientific staff to clone himself because he had a weak heart and he wanted to use his clone's heart as a transplant, but then that clone escaped notified the avengers and he got arrested hey dave how's it going it's going great thanks zach yeah i had contingencies for almost everything almost being the operative word there it didn't quite pan out Except just like a damn didn't. science administrator's clone can never yeah, prepare for them yeah you know if i do the opening i was going to go with a similar uh taskmaster related quote we have the debut of taskmaster today very popular uh villain this year in 2020 as he's going to be the star of Marvel, the MCU's Black Widow in May 2020. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to be talking about some comic books from Marvel. That came out in 1980. My Marvelous Year is the show where we go through Marvel Comics origins. Nope. Marvel Comics history from its origins to today. I already and seen Did you? Yes. That's, that's how I started this episode. You did? Okay, good job. No, I was just checking. <laughs> oh, okay. Very no, nice no, I, I knew that you did it. I was just seeing if you knew. Okay, yeah, we're all we're on the same page here. Check, check, check. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about a big one today, Dark Phoenix Saga, Uncanny X-Men, and some other stuff. Oh, is that an important story? I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we'll talk about like <clears throat> how you probably had a really weird reaction to Dark Phoenix Saga. Oh, it's, I'm just I mean, stealing myself I for Listen, I don't hate it about Dark it's a, Phoenix it's a, Saga. It's a 6 out of 10. I don't hate it. A 6 out of 10? <laughs> oh I'm my good. gosh. Half I'm our just, readership just fainted. I know. I'm just kidding. All right. Let's, uh, That's let's the cool that. thing about the My Marvelous Year Club is we have readership instead of listenership <laughs> Yeah, as right, a podcast right. reading club. Yeah. I guess we got a little bit of both. Um. Uh, so as I did with my reading, let's save X-Men for last. So I think uh, I think actually the order in which we read this was about as uh, <laughs> it went from worst to best for me. So worst. Oh, no, to I, best? I, oh, no, I read them out of order. Never mind. Let's go to Marvel yeah, no Team way. Up first. I, Marvel Team Up number 95 is the first issue on the reading list. Again, remember, everyone, you can find all these reading lists in the podcast show notes. You can find them over on patreon.com slash my marvelous year. Or you can find them in the Comic Book Herald email club newsletter. Yes. Marvel Team-Up, number 95. We read this one. The Spider-Man, you know, it's still a Spider-Man Team-Up book. We read this one because it's the debut of Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird. This is what did you think? Stephen Graham, Jimmy Janes, and Bruce Patterson. Yeah, like an interesting array here of creators that, frankly, I could not tell you much about. What did you think? of Mockingbird's debut. Do you have any affinity or knowledge of, of Mockingbird otherwise? I knew Were you a big that... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. guy? Oh, the show? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, otherwise? I I the pilot. <laughs> no, I read um, 
Is it Chelsea Kane has her miniseries? In the yeah, 2000s? she's got an eight in you, eight issue. Uh, well, it wasn't supposed to be a mini, but that's basically what it turned out into. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, right. That was uh, quite I read the first issue. Good. That was pretty good. Um, and that's about it. I don't really know much else about her. I know she's a spy. Um, this was fine. This was. I don't know. It's about. I I was thinking about this. We need a term. So there's there's a movie podcast called Blank Check um, mm-hmm. that a couple, I know a bunch of our listeners also listen to. It's pretty we popular. About it, yeah, yeah. They 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 talk about movies. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this. Studio movies that come out, maybe do well, maybe don't, but then are immediately that immediately vanish from the cultural zeitgeist. So like. The Lego movie Ninjago, right? Like a movie that came out, had a lot of money behind it, probably made its money back, and then no one ever talks about it again. Or uh, what was that? The Meg, right? That big. It doesn't (laughs) even have to be a bad movie. Just movies that like leave no cultural And it was gone. And And they call them movies that don't exist, right? They they refer to sometimes movies that are about to come out as movies that don't exist. Uh, Yep. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think it, Hellboy is probably going to fall into that category. Oh, Hellboy is totally that. But then or was get, it like, too bad? Was it too bad to... No, it um, doesn't have to do... Because, like, Cats is terrible, but Cats is definitely not a movie that doesn't exist. It exists, because right? Everyone talks, talks about, about Cats. Yeah, okay. I think we, we got to have a... Uh, I don't want to steal their exact nomenclature, but I feel like there's something about this where, like, a comic that just doesn't exist, where it's just, like, a comic that you read it, and you're just like, yes, this is comic to me. Right, uh, and that's about right. all I can say about it because it's like. See, I think I, this is. I think this one's a little bit different because it's actually a subcategory of that, which is one standard unit of origin. Right? <laughs> yeah, we've got, yeah. Okay, we've got like... <laughs> several standard units of origin yeah, sure. that we've read in the last several years, like Spider yeah, Woman comes Savage to mind. She-Hulk. Yes, Spider Woman. She Hulk yeah. comes to mind. Mockingbird. Right. It's Marvel. Oh, all the female. Do- well, yeah. they are because those are the characters who are debuting that we're catching up on in a lot of cases, which is like clearly Marvel editorial moving with the culture in the right direction in yeah. terms of getting these characters out there. The stories themselves, though, obviously are not standouts to us. Um, I do think like Captain Britain, actually, just to <laughs> to even things out gender wise a little bit. Yes. Thank you. Right. In that, that in, this, yeah. in the exact same book, right? In a Marvel team up with Spidey. Yeah. Yeah. So Mockingbird, it's a it's a classic one standard unit of origin. And I, I like Bobby Morse's character as she's developed over the years. I definitely would never have considered myself like a big Mockingbird fan until that Chelsea Kane, Kate Nemzik series you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the first time I really looked at it and thought like, oh, this, there's something more here that I didn't, never saw before. Uh, she's honestly like very close to Spider-Woman. You know, there's the super spy background. There's the connections to S.H.I.E.L.D. here. You know, this in this issue, she's both a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and fighting against a seemingly corrupt part of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. which is how the spy games go, right? Who's on whose side? Um, and, of course, she teams up with, with Spidey in order to either save or smash S.H.I.E.L.D., as the cover suggests. She doesn't really have superpowers, you know? She's yeah, a super she's spy who fights with spy. the big, uh, yeah. what do you call the Donatello staff? Just a staff? Yeah, I don't know. They, like, clamp into her forearms of her costume. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, I really have no head? impression of her from this. You don't really get any kind of character except that, like, she's a spy, but she's on the side of good. She's competent, but moral, you know? It's like... Yeah, right. That's about all. Um, The only thing that this 
brought up, the only thought that's brought up in me is, so Spider-Man, he's like leaving the airport. She is in a fight with some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that he doesn't know are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents at the time. So he just sees this woman being attacked by men and he jumps into fight because his spider sense goes off when the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents go by. His Uh spider sense goes off and he says like, oh, my spider sense. These are dangerous men. And he like gets into costume because he wants to, you know, make sure that they're not up to any, not up to no good. This just made (laughs) me think. Yeah. Nice, smooth sentence. This just Mm -hmm. was making me think. So Spider-Man's spider sense cues him in to when there's like danger afoot, right? Or someone with bad intentions, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So is that spider sense a reflection of Peter Parker's own like moral compass? His, or is his, his unconscious own... bias. So like if if Spider-Man was like a real like alt-right jerk, right? Uh-huh. Would would uh-huh. he like would his spider sense go off when like he went by a uh, a workplace someone was working with their proper work visa, you know, an undocumented immigrant. Like, would his spider sense go off? This but. is an almost interesting question. I definitely. Prefer <laughs> I think it's. The... I mean, that that was a stupid. <laughs> probably. Well, I definitely prefer the version of example, it, but like pure pure heroism, comic book science, which is no, it is not influenced by the inflicted's. Um, you know, their own like. What, what would you call it? yeah biases biases yeah, yeah that it's that it's only attuned to actual danger now someone with those biases that you're describing could put themselves could sort of instigate that where then yeah, they actually sure. are in danger and now the spider sense is kicking in I, it's not but it's not like the spider sense has a moral compass you know that's what i'm saying does it exist right? like kind of on its own as its own entity outside of peter parker because like in this case it goes off for some shield agents Right, that like aren't necessarily bad guys here. Like he later finds out that they're shield agents, and he feels like, "Oh man, I wish I hadn't attacked them." Like, yeah, right. It's just like, right. Could he be misinterpreting the spider sense here and yeah. there? Yeah, it's yeah, possibility. Yeah. It's possibility. Yeah. Uh, that's the most interesting thing that comes out of this comic, and it's that is far from the actual text. So let's. Uh, yeah, I think we can move on. I should mention I, I mean, some other uh, some other character intros that fit into our our new standard unit of origin uh, from this hmm. time period. We had Machine yeah. Man not too long ago. We had yep. Nova. Just yep. to, to oh, make it clear, I, I like not Nova. Just okay, female Actually. characters being introduced here. Who? Uh, yeah, but I mean, like none of these origins are are knocking you know these things out of the park. You know what? Uh, I remember Nova's at least. I don't really remember Spider Woman's. Like I don't remember anything about Spider Woman at this time. I remember Nova's. I remember Spider Woman's the most because huh. it's the a little Hydra weird. agent tries to convince her that she came from an actual spider. Right. That is yeah. the most memorable detail. See, I remember that that was a thing, but I couldn't remember if that was real or not, or if that was something that gets retconned. I don't know. It's a mess. Retconned or not, it happened at least okay. once. It was real let's, to me. Let's. <laughs> that's all that matters here. <laughs> Um, let's jump to Fantastic Four. We read 220, 221. This is yeah. written and drawn by John Byrne, doing mm-hmm. excellent mm-hmm. work. There's an awesome cover here. John Byrne does all red, just like the only color here is red, and then the black of his inks of the Fantastic Four, I think, on their rocket ship going to the North Pole. Yeah. Uh, and the the story here is that... There's, like, blackouts rolling all across the planet. 
Every Fantastic Four member runs into their own problem of something falling out of the sky. <laughs> like, uh-huh. individually, uh-huh. everything is falling out of the sky. So, the thing stops a crane from falling out of the sky. Johnny Storm stops a helicopter? Uh, I, c- I can't remember. Oh, uh, some men fall off of, like, a window cleaner thing on a si- skyscraper, and Sue Storm jumps to the it rescue. Is, it is definitely raining men yep, on, exactly. on good old Susie. Uh, th- now, it, all of this happening, too, it also really calls back to Fantastic Four number one. So despite the fact that yeah. this is yeah, Fantastic weird Four number 220, thing. Yeah. it's very much a, a origin callback, which I think is, you know, in big part because it's John Burns sort of, hey, I'm writer-artist takeover moment. Except that he uh, isn't. Like, he does these two, and then he doesn't do Fantastic Four for a while. But he'll be back. Yeah, um, he will. So it's, it's just it's like... Not, yeah, and they do like a, a page or, yeah, like a, you know, they, they do eventually get into a spaceship and do like an actual origin story flashback. It's yeah. just, it's got yeah. a weird like launching point, like start of something new, not mm-hmm. weird, but it's got that clear vibe to it. And uh, Johnny's case in particular, he's literally doing the hot rod line when yes, he flies I, off to go catch something, which I is what he does, says in FF number one. He does that thing of like, there's only one thing I love more than hot rods. And I yeah. actually, I was just like, oh. Our first episode. I got a little, uh, a little nostalgic for our first episode, remembering us yeah. talking about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Fantastic Four number one. That, it's yeah. such a funny issue. Uh, this one's less funny, I would say, over time. John Byrne does a really nice job with Kirby machinery without these two issues. He has a great mm-hmm. grasp on the character dynamics See, that, as that's, well. I actually, think, that, or, or at least their physical dynamics. I yeah, don't think yeah, the yes. actual like characteristics are are too interesting, which is. Kind of a problem in these two issues because there's there's not really a villain. Like, it's kind of just a Fantastic Four encounter a weird global blackout, go fly to it mm-hmm. in the Arctic. Yeah. And then encounter an alien race that is, like, accidentally doing this. And I mean, there's it, not it really a all, threat. It, it's all on the this... What, it, it's basically John Bird was reading Ripley's Believe It or Not, and he saw that, you know, like... 400,000 years ago, the magnetic poles of the Earth reversed. And he's like, wow, that's interesting. All right, that's what I'm going to base these two issues on. And it's that aliens landed here like a million years ago. Uh, Their ships are all based on magnetic poles being the opposite. Like they need that to, I don't know, to run or something. Uh, They went into stasis. They woke up. The magnetic poles since then have reversed. And so they're like, all right, well, we just got to switch them. And in the meantime, uh, Earth has been populated by sentient beings, which they didn't know about. And as soon as, like, the Fantastic Four clue them in, they're like, oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess we'll just flip this switch and not have to reverse the magnetic poles and we can just leave. And that's that's kind of the entire thing. I, it's I a, think it's a nothing of a plot. Yeah, like, it's not. You know? Like, you know what the there's... thing is? I think John Byrne's a, a good writer, and I think he's the best writer we've had on Fantastic Four for a while. Well, not yet he think... isn't. That was the point I was going to make, is if, if you just read these two issues, and you didn't know that he's going to be on FF for a good chunk of the 80s, writing some of, like, really good comics. Starting in 81. I would never, yeah. never read these two issues and think, like, yeah, we're destined for greatness here. Like, I think I just throwaways. mean in, like, structure. Like, he's clearly, like... He, I don't know. We've been reading a fair amount of Fantastic Four that's just like hard to read through, and the, at least these for me. Does like, this actually feel like a refresh already to you? No, 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 definitely not. But I just think like uh, <laughs> I didn't have a hard time reading these two. Like I read two of them and they flowed right by, and I wasn't like, you know, I don't know. You you just read these really text heavy slog 
comics and you're just like pushing your way through them. And I didn't feel that. I was just like you. He at least has pacing down, and he's Burn got, has a like, better sense of pacing. I think. Yeah, but question. I do not think. Yes. I think you're right. Like, uh, I don't think he has a particularly interesting angle right now, or the the voices of the characters nailed. And that's so, fine. Like once um, we get to eighty one, once we yeah. get to next year, we're going to read a chunk of Fantastic Four where that's when I start to think because I oh, was yeah. kind of no, I love some like, stuff that he does. Yeah, yeah, because I I remember that was one of the runs I hadn't read when I was putting the list together, and I remember being surprised at how um, taken I was with it. You know, I knew it was Burns' time on FF was the run that the fans talked about fondly, but I was like. I, I got it got to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna read all of this because I'm engaged and I I like what's happening here and I'm not sure which issue is gonna be the next interesting one. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. some good ideas bouncing around. You don't necessarily get that from here, uh, which, which no, is interesting because no. it's it really progresses very quickly. That like you know by the end of this year into early next year, Burn is transitioning off of Uncanny X Men and onto Fantastic Four full time. Yeah. In addition to, yep. you know, maybe, I don't know, some other throwaway problems yeah, he that starts, he might tackle. He's going to write Fantastic years. Four 232 to 295. So about five years, 64 issues. So Did you cool. catch a cameo at the My Marvelous Year introduction of one of your faves? I did not. At least uh, I don't think Vindicator. So. Oh, Vindicator yes, I did. I did. Alpha I wrote this Flight. down. Yeah, yeah, did yeah. Did a flyby of yeah, the Fantastic yeah, yeah. Four's space vessel. And He's not I just always called say, Vindicator, right? Yeah, what a dweeb. What an absolute yeah, yeah, yeah. dweeb. No, you know what? Is. To be to be totally fair, um, I had read the first time I read through these comics a couple of years ago, uh, when Alpha Flight shows up in Uncanny X Men, I was like, Ugh, these guys are boring. They're just like a cheap knockoff of the X Men and I don't care about any of them. Kinda like I do with most teams that get introduced just in the one off issues where they're just like, Here's the Gardens of the Galaxy, it's six new guys, learn to love them and 18 pages. It takes some, takes some doing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think most of those don't land for me. Um, Who's the yeah. most... I mean, it's got to be all... It's got to be Giant Size X-Men number one. Like, the most effective team introduction Oh, ever. sure, yeah. I mean, it helps Does that we already close? are, like, grounded in the That's true. Um, the story That's true. of, like, Cyclops and Professor X are there. But, yeah, no, it's not until Alpha Flight number one that I, like, was like, oh, wait. Oh, wait a minute. Because that issue... Is an excellent like introduction to those characters, and it slowly introduces one at a time all their personalities. Oh, it's so good! It's a great yeah, issue. so that was this is technically though our introduction to Alpha Flight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. My Marvelous Year universe. Yeah. Um, okay, next up on the reading list, we did a weird Man Thing. Oh yeah, you're Strange gonna get crossover. a uh, why'd you do it, Dave? Well, I did it because Chris Claremont writer of Uncanny X-Men, is writing Doctor Strange at this time. Yeah, and I was yeah. reading this run because I'm, I've said a hundred times now, I'm very curious about the other books Claremont was writing because it turns out Claremont and Byrne produced like every Marvel comic from 77 to 81, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously unfair to all of the many other talented creators who did stuff. But they did so much more than just X-Men. And this Doctor Strange run is spins into a Man-Thing crossover that Claremont also wrote. And you know why I included just these and not the Doctor Strange issues I read before that were kind of interesting? Mm-hmm. It's because I didn't want to make everyone read <laughs> the extra Doctor Strange issues. <laughs> yeah. Unless yeah. you want to anyway. That's a little bonus round stuff, is to actually read the build-up. I do think it makes more sense if you do, I think, frankly. Um, I followed okay once we got to Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange was pretty good. Man-Thing was an overstuffed mess. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. It's kind of a mess. Um, I I actually 
I mean, I, yeah, like I don't include these because I think they're hidden gems. I include them because they're kind of strange and because the creators attached. Um, it, it's they're not great. I I don't I don't think I'd like super highly recommend see, them if you aren't doing. I the could kind of see if I was being if I was into Doctor Strange and I like was a little bit more in its rhythm that I might have enjoyed that a bit more. Yeah, I think I think it was okay. It had its charms, like the Doctor Strange one. That one wasn't as hard to read as the Man Thing one. The Man Thing one, like I don't even want to recap it because it was just so all over the place. The, it's absolute nonsense. I I also did want to call out here too, though, that like Man Thing got a a rebooted series. At yeah, this is time, this our second? Is, this is the first volume two of a series we've ever read. I think maybe in Marvel. Uh, I don't. Sorry, right. I don't know if Marvel's done this before. Have we ever had a rebooted like number one issue for a series? Oh, Doctor Strange, maybe. Doctor Strange gets well, not but technically. He, no, did he just go strange from tales. Strange Tales? Yeah, yeah. So that's just his first series in the seventies. Uh, that is actually an interesting question. You yeah, might be onto something. Yeah. yeah, but trying to make Man Thing happen, it doesn't really work. I, if you're interested, oh, in I did. Strange I stuff, did like one thing about Man Thing, which is that like it starts out, and I, I don't know any of the context for this, but he is clinging to a woman. He's underneath a plane, holding to the bottom of an airplane, flying through the mountains, and he's holding onto this woman, like, protecting her from falling. Um, I don't know any of the context. Doesn't matter. But what's kind of fun is she wakes up, and she's terrified because she's, like, being held by this monster, and she's dangling in the sky, and she starts to light on fire. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know if I haven't read that much man thing, but I didn't know that was kind of a thing. I kind of assumed it was, like, bad guys who are afraid of him. We'll burn it as touch, but it's just kind of anyone who's afraid. So even whatever someone knows who fear, like, yeah, whatever knows fear burns. Yeah, that man thing's touch. Interesting, interesting. So I mean, he drops her, <laughs> and then he plummets down himself. Um, man thing, not fine. the best person to dive out of a plane and catch you. Yeah, yeah. So the, arguably the, the worst. The thrust of these two, Baron Mordo, is like uh, attempting to gather a bunch of sacrifices i think a dozen people to sacrifice to some demon that's going to come through gobble them all up and with that power that he grabs from them he'll be able to burst through i i like baron mordo's motivation here he wants to destroy earth he wants this demon to destroy earth so that he can then not even so he can go escape to another earth he just wants to escape to another earth without a doctor strange there so he can rule the different earth. He just kind of wants to like destroy this one as spite on his way out, right? Like he just wants to, you know, like yeah, yeah. douse this one in that. gas and light a match before he leaves and goes finds goes and finds another universe to live in. Yeah, and the nice build up to this is I think it's Doctor Strange and I believe Clea. Um, they believe Baron Mordo to be like incapacitated and uh, kind of like I think he's like trapped inside of a you know kind of a mindless husk type thing. Um, and they find him and he's escaped. And of course, he's going to be the big bad who's trying to do this in uh, issues 38 to 40. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a strange V Mordo throwdown. Um, the man thing piece just really adds so little to it. Yeah, I don't know why uh, he's it's very here, disappointing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he it's, does it's drown strange. Doctor Strange almost to death. <laughs> There's that. Like, he yeah. holds him underwater until basically, like, he, he dies enough that he, like, faces off against the personification of death in some kind of, you know, like, purgatory before he escapes. He, like, fights death and escapes back into his body. Yeah. Um, but then um, I think the only other thing to note is really how dark and spooky and violent this was with the demon. Because this demon's hand just comes out through this portal and touches the sacrifices one at a time, immediately stripping them of their flesh and turning them into 
skeletons, like instantly killing them all. Yeah. Which I have to say was quite spooky. Uh, yeah. I had to turn is, all um... the lights on and my wife was like, what are, you, what are you doing? It's the middle of the night. And I was like, too spooked to sleep, Rose. <laughs> and then, that will happen when you're reading good old Doctor She had Strange. to read the rest of the comic to me, yeah. Right, right. No, it's always helpful to have somebody read a comic to you. Um, Gene Colan doing the art here. And obviously we've seen him do Tomb of Dracula so successfully in the 70s. He continues that streak here on a little mini run with yeah. Claremont. You know, the issue I wanted to include in this was uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 14 which is mm-hmm. a Spider-Man Doctor Strange versus Doctor Doom Dormammu story with art by Frank Miller, which on paper sounds like an absolute lock for an obscure must-read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's really just kind of a bonus round thing. Like, I, the yeah, story a... just didn't grab me at all. I, but I people have been like saying, that... read more Doctor Strange. So, hey, we I threw in a weird crossover with Man-Thing. Uh, we're we're going to get some better Doctor coming soon. You're reading the, uh, the new Doctor Strange Surgeon Supreme? No, not in real time. Oh, it's I mean, good. I'll, I read. I read the first issue at some it's point. Fun. Yeah, I, I bet it's fine. You know, you know who the the villain of issue number one is? Uh, Hippocrates, the Wrecker. Heck yeah! Yeah, it was pretty fun. Like to see the, uh, the guy with the, like start crowbarring him <laughs> in yeah. issue one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might, I might check that out. Um. Okay, I think I think that's kind of it for uh, Man Thing Doctor Strange. Moving into some pretty tasty. Pretty tasty Avengers comics. Yeah. That was an interesting trick. Yeah, I, at first. This is an it, interesting run. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because I kind of okay. love this until I hate it, you know? <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, it's, it's always interesting. So we read 196 to 200, Avengers 196 to 200, which is a pretty long chunk. Um, and frankly, more that you need. Like, if, if the issue has the Red Ronin Transformers robot in it, you don't need the story, but there yeah, are the pieces red... within it that build to 200. Yeah, the know? Red Ronin stuff I kind of skimmed a little bit. Um, it was okay. I, I, I like the villain's motivation, but uh, let, let's start at 196. We'll go back to Red Ronin. So 196 is probably my favorite of the bunch, and that's ooh, Taskmaster. Ooh, it's it's rad. It's what? Ooh, ooh it's rad. Ooh. Yeah, right? Ooh. It's uh Yeah, Taskmaster's very fun i think so he's a bad guy who uh dresses up in a weird skull type thing not quite red skullish you know he's got a very orange costume at this point in time it's like orange, orange and blue. blue and white yeah yeah and he is he can mimic anyone's abilities right so he can watch cap with the shield and now he can fight with a shield he can walk hawkeye with the bow and arrow and uh now he can shoot a bow and arrow and he can do all this but he also has the good sense to monetize by, one, contracting himself out as a mercenary, but more importantly, training goons. He's looking for men <laughs> yes. who like to kill. So he uh, he has, like, mercenary camps, and he tries to teach people, and he's an instructor in in the ways of the merc. And I kind of yeah. love that about Tasky. It's a nice addition. Plus, so- he's always got, like, I could fight all the Avengers at once, and for a period of time, it looks like he can. I, the thing I, I mean, what won me over with, with him, because like I knew the, the concept with him. I, I did not remember him from reading this before. Um, I don't think I really have any context for him besides I know he's about to be in the Black Widow movie, is that uh, he could mimic people. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. What really won me over is that he's kind of a scumbum. Like, yeah, he's kind of this like I, I, I think I was expecting him to be like, welcome to my school of villainy. 
I can master over your skills, Avengers, and he would just be kind of a, you know, pontificating, like, you know, like, I simply dodge your shield, Captain America, like, have at you. But instead, he's just like, he calls, uh, oh my god, he calls Jocasta something, like, so funny. I mean, he just basically calls everyone, like, Darlin, and, uh, you know, and Honey, and, like, he's just kind of like... it's kind of like a Wolverine-ish... Um, yeah, know, yeah, like he's just, attitude, he's, right? He's he's a little rougher around the edges yep. than yes, our our sort of '60s Silver Age villain, which is great. Uh, he's written here by David Michelini. Um, mm. I should mention oh. as well, who's doing a nice job yeah, on these on these issues until Good we job, get to two hundred. Oh, yeah, well, totally. to be fair, no one knows who wrote two hundred. <laughs> two hundred so. is is obscure. I I think Jim Shooter gets the uh, <laughs> the credit if you will he he has 200 well, most let's thoroughly wait. We'll, we'll wait we'll talk about that because there, there's a lot to talk about there yeah um okay. yeah so task taskmaster is cool i it, like at one point he's getting beaten by the avengers like he's barely <laughs> holding his own against all of them together and he's just like oh i could definitely take them one at a time but uh He's like, what did he say? He says, man, what an opportunity. I could take the Avengers on one-on-one. Maybe with my reflexes, I could defeat them all. But then again, maybe I couldn't. And there ain't no bucks in feeding an ego. And then he immediately just starts running, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. But then he yeah. runs into Jocasta. This is her first time, like, really proving herself as an Avenger. Um, he calls her baby buns. That's the word I was looking for. Uh- <laughs> baby buns. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um the thing is, Taskmaster was so cool that by the end of this, I was like, "Yeah, he he blows up a little uh, magnesium flare and gets away." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Hell yeah, get out of there!" Like, I I had you want, been won over to his him. side, and I was like, he's, "I mean, he's for definitely him. more fun than most of the Avengers." <laughs> like, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. there's any question there. Um, this is why, as the character develops. He he's like yeah he's he's fun he will be able to bounce off characters like a Deadpool, um like a um yeah like a Deadpool actually is the most striking example to me where it's like he can kind of hang in that space, uh yeah. it's kind of yeah, yeah. always fun when he shows up just because of and, and I like him even in like Marvel video games and stuff like because well, he's I mean, got he's, this henchman academy the, thing uh, he's got a big year coming up because he's in the new Square Enix Avengers game that's coming yeah. Out. It just got yeah. delayed to like September, but um, I think so far he's like the villain in the trailers. So between that and Black Widow, Taskmaster's number has been called. Is that a phrase? Yeah, it is. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so this is also Jack Abel, I think, is on art here. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Abel has a stroke <laughs> right after this. And uh, you can see in the next issue, they talk about how like, art duties were filled in by a bunch of different people but mm-hmm. he actually oh he's inking um this is george perez on pencils jack abel actually like recovers and comes back to marvel and works there for like the rest of the decade which is pretty cool that's awesome yeah uh but then he died in the 90s so not so cool not so cool jack you're blaming him <laughs> i mean no i guess not okay, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I don't know so what I'm in the next issue in 197, so we have 197 oh, I, I to like 197. 199. You did or did not? I did. I like this a lot. Like Avengers yeah. is on a, a fun weird. Like the cover so of this, I could just as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, oh, this is my kind of my kind of issue. Well, it's kind of an it's kind of a like 
no big bad all team dynamics issue, which oh, I think Michelini I does yeah. really well. Yes. And yes, yes. this is where we start. This is not where we start, but you get a lot of if you're into the like Beast and Wonder Man hanging out and going on <sighs> dates, parts of Avengers. Boy, am I? Um, or in this case, Miss Marvel and Wasp talking about uh, whether or not they'd like to be mothers at any point in time. Oh my you God. know, yeah, this is wow. this is okay. the <laughs> comic that can do one of those things. Well. The, the cover of this has a little montage of different things happening. And it's yeah. got like Avengers. What really goes on at the Avengers mansion? The untold story. Avengers after hours. The elevator incident. And Miss Marvel, a shocking surprise. Like it's like a tabloid. And I'm, yeah, I'm way into it. Uh, yeah. So I wish it. Was, I wish it was published like a tabloid. That'd be fun. Yeah. And kind of inventive. Hey, you know. Oh, I, that that is actually a pretty good framing device, just because they are so like public facing. Yeah. Just to have like in the middle of a big story, have an issue of seeing them from the outside. Uh, yeah. I think the important stuff here, Jocasta is becoming, she gets nominated to become like a full team member. Just she's very excited about her and Vision still have this weird thing where like, I think she's lusting after Vision. Vision and Scarlet Witch are like separated right now. Scarlet Witch went off to like find herself to deal with the fact that her and Vision can't have kids. And then it, this is a small little ray of... I don't know, a good thought in the middle, a, a good thought about motherhood in the middle of a bunch of horrible stuff <laughs> about motherhood, which is that Scarlet Witch decides, like, I don't think it's right for us to have children. Like, it's not for us. Uh, my relationship with Vision is more important to me. And that's just the decision she makes. And it's fine. Like, which it's is ne- right. It's not probably... it's not because of some external factor. It's really it's really just a matter of her like thinking about it figuring out what's important for them and deciding that that's okay and I, yes i would agree that yeah that without like you know putting any kind of approach. weird shame on like if you want kids that's shameful it's just saying like she doesn't well, want children my, and that's my and, ultimate I mean, least favorite version of this would be avengers age of ultron when uh black widow shares with bruce banner that uh, she's a monster too because yeah, she was right the surgically altered in such a way that God, she i mean have kids like, whenever I hear someone being like, oh, I mean, can you, it, it's not that crazy. Like, you know, Bruce Banner says he's sterile, too. I mean, just like, just imagine this story playing out that Hawkeye was just like, yeah, I had my testicles removed as a teenager. Like, that th- that, that would never happen. But, you know, it is kind of a well-trod uh, plot point to talk about, like, women being sterilized is, you know, a drama beat that is it's, somehow okay. It's quite bad, uh, yeah, but that's, that's not rough. what we're litigating. Although yeah, I will it is. say, <laughs> as much as I liked Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, if one of those had included the line from <laughs> Jeremy Renner, I had my testicles removed as boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I do think those movies improve substantially. Uh, so at the end of this, Miss Marvel like collapses and she's pregnant. That's like... Oh, weird BTW... Little... <laughs> she's and she had i i think this is the issue where she's saying basically i never want to have kids yeah yes right it is right after the conversation with scarlet witch like she doesn't want kids i i, don't, I think that's right that she says she doesn't want to have kids yeah but she finds out she's pregnant and she's like that's impossible like basically hinting like i have not had sex i cannot be pregnant uh and then this goes on for, oh, for there, are, there are other ways that's that's true, Dave, but okay. All right. She says, I have not had sex or gone through in vitro fertilization. <laughs> Is that what you want right. me to say? 
Well, no, that's what that's hey, it's printed on the page. That's what she said. Hey, I do have to call out before we move into the rest of Carol Danvers' uh, wild saga here. Yeah. Issue 197 is drawn by Carmine Infantino, who Ooh. is quite famous. He's a Will Eisner Award Hall of Famer in the world of comics, uh, primarily famous for his work as an artist and editor at DC, including work on the super speedster known as The Flash during The Flash's resurgence in the late 50s. So he's kind of like DC royalty, pops in for an issue here, and then we're on to George Perez doing some more Red Ronin stuff. But kind of an interesting name grab because, to my knowledge, he doesn't do a lot of Marvel work. He does Um, like one issue of The Hulk this year. He does two Ghost Riders, a Captain America. Like, he hops around mm-hmm. in, like, 78 to 80. He does a couple things, and then that seems like it's it. Yeah. He does a lot of uh, Star Wars. I think that's actually his main thing. He does, uh, it looks like something like 30 issues of Star Wars at Marvel. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but he was, that, I mean, he, he's there. the guy yeah. who did uh, Flash of Two Worlds, which is obviously mm-hmm. that iconic, you know, Barry Allen and, and uh, Jay. He's done wow. a ton of Batman as well. Looks Jay like. Garrett? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I got, I got a fuzzy, sick head readers, and I apologize. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's going to bug me. The original Flash? Jay Garrick. That's got to be it, right? Jay Garrett. This has been... Jay Garrick is the original Flash. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to... I'm going to... Double the speed of that whole segment because that was nothing. Well, it's also the Flash, so that's appropriate. You should probably like a oh, thousand pretty, times it. That's pretty funny. Um, 198 and 199 are Red Ronin on the rampage. Red Ronin is out of the Godzilla comic, which is weird. Uh, Godzilla was being published by Marvel, I guess. They like talk about like for the origin. I gotta of tell you, I sure wish Godzilla was in Marvel Unlimited. I don't. I don't think I care. <laughs> you don't want to. You you aren't even a little curious about Dum Dum Dugan leading Shield against Godzilla in Marvel Comics. I think I have a better. I think I just have a a like a sense of what that actually would look like, and I think it would be about as. I mean, it's a as it's it. a seventy seven to seventy nine mm-hmm. Bronze Age Marvel comic. I mean, <laughs> I'm just know? picturing them fighting a dinosaur, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can't imagine that's very good either so do you do you care about kaiju movies and stuff like that like is that up your alley at all i'm not like opposed to it i'm not anti-kaiju right but well no, right no i think i think we're actually very much on the same page there then it's just never been a thing that um i really understood you know that 24 issue run of comics uh godzilla written by doug munch drawn by yeah, Trip. Yeah, yeah. doug oh, doing godzilla and master of kung fu like nobody's business. <laughs> His runs are fascinating to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting guy. The only Godzilla comic that I think, like, that I know of that's really good is that Godzilla Half-Century War by James Stoko. Stoko? Yeah, that one's that? cool. That there, is, are some, there are some God, good that, ones. I mean, have you read awesome Godzilla comic. versus Charles Barkley? That's <laughs> that a classic. Re- is that real? That's a classic. That's a real comic. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. It's incredible. Yeah, that's that's fun. It's not quite as good as Charles Barkley and the referee murders, but you know, I enjoy it. We have we have so much to cover. Okay, between this and, and X Men, we got it. In Charles Barkley comics, you're right. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Charles space. Barkley, a man I have absolutely no knowledge of for uh, yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, this is gonna be a pre. Okay, so Red Ronin is this big samurai that gets kidnapped. Not kidnapped. <laughs> he gets this robot who gets kidnapped from the inside. <laughs> Um, kidnapped by, from the inside. I, I, that, that's like, you know, if you steal a plane, you're kidnapping the plane. 
So, um, all right. So, cut to police away. detective on the serialized show. Yeah. So, what's the situation here? Uh, we got a we got a classic kidnapping from the inside. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> oh no! He literally crawled inside his victim and kidnapped them that way. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like the doors were locked. Okay. Red yes. Ronan. Yeah, he gets kidnapped from the inside. He's just Taking a big over. robot that stomps around and like tries to start World War Three by like shooting a nuke or something. The the only interesting thing I, he does have a cool um like rationale for this. He's a guy who has been so like mentally traumatized by the um by the constant uh, what's the word the constant fear and anxiety of the Cold War. Of like a nuclear holocaust between the United States and Russia or the USSR that he kind of wants to do away with fear he says basically by just starting the war and triggering the nuclear bombs dropping because it kind of comes down to like he the anticipation is what's killing him he'd much rather just start it and just deal with it than be in this state of anxiety and panic which it's is a bonkers high. rationale, but it's also kind of fascinating. It is kind of fascinating because, like, I feel like that is something that has a little ring of truth to it for people. There are, like, I mean, th- that is a real thing that happens. There are people who have, like, insane anxiety, like irrational, you know, veering into mental illness anxiety about things. And inevitably, they kind of will just follow through on it because they, like, are, are exhausted by the, the this looming threat that they feel. Well, um, I, I think just on a simpler level, you know, if you have something hanging over your head that you know you have to get done, it often feels better to just force yourself to do it and yeah, get the sure. thing over with than to have it lingering because that's the thing that's actually driving you yeah. up a wall anyway. Yeah, it's interesting, but then it kind of turns down into a, you know, robot fight that's it's not bad. It's just kind of not good either. <laughs> I don't know. They, they're pretty um, forgettable, but through these, what's yeah. ha- the thing that's happening here is Carol Danvers pregnancy is rapidly advancing so Mm -hmm. she finds out she's pregnant in 197 in 198 she's suddenly i think three months along and by the end of 199 the baby's here (laughs) so she has gone from the the end of and i don't want to have kids to here comes a baby the end of 199 is insane the just a second let me let me pull that up because basically she goes into labor donald blake goes into the other room to help with the delivery Mm-hmm. And then he burst into the room with the Avengers <laughs> saying, please, you've got to come quickly. Miss Marvel's gone into labor and it's not like any kind of labor I've ever seen. I don't know if I can handle it. Frankly, Dr. Blake is I don't know if anything pe- human can, <laughs> which doesn't add up because the next issue, she just has labor and it is not that crazy. Like, it's just weirdly uh, a, a painless labor for her. That's the like yeah. weird part. But I don't know what this panic is about. Maybe he's no prizing. So through some... um Asgardian Thor sensitivity, he was able to tell the true nature of this baby or something. But you're right. He also is just, if Dr. Blake is your doctor in the delivery room, ask, ask for a change. Ask for a change because it's not very comforting to have your doctor run out of the room screaming during (laughs) a very. I don't know if any human can handle this labor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. I, I guess let, let's recap what happens here. She has the baby. Yep. Uh, and let, 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 I guess let's just talk <laughs> about it in as like stark terms as possible. She has the baby and it grows up super quick. So within like an hour, it's a four year old. Another hour, it's like a grown man. Right. So like much like up, the pregnancy, just everything just speeds along. Right. 
including this baby becoming a grown ass man. And then so it turns out that this guy, he's related to Eternus. Is that right? He's Eternus's son, who's like this old villain that we, I don't know if we read in the club. I think I read one issue of him. Not a t- uh, Immortus. Immortus, whatever. So he says he's the son of Immortus. Is Immortus someone we've read? I don't remember. Immortus is a timey-wimey Marvel villain. Um, yeah. He does have connections to Kang the Conqueror. It, if anyone in Marvel oh, okay, is okay. like kind yeah. of a vague yes, yes. Uh, time travel character, you know? He's, so he's Kang Tut, the Conqueror. Kang, yeah. Immortus, they're all a piece of the same <laughs> Extended, very complicated chronology. They're all just King the Conqueror. You mean? Mm, sort of. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, whatever. This guy does he even have a name here? I don't know. If Marcus. Marcus. You're talking. Right. You're talking about Marcus. Oh yeah, Marcus. Um. The all these other Which weird. I, time I don't events. know that Carol even gets to name him. If I'm not mistaken. No, she does not. He introduces himself. Um, uh, through the, uh, the rest of New York, all these different weird time things are happening. So, like, it flashes back to colonial times. There's a dinosaur in someone's backyard. Like, time is kind of coming unraveled around him. He wants to build yes. this big machine. He says that, basically, he was trapped in this other dimension. He lured Carol Danvers there because he wanted to escape. And the only way he could think of was basically to, like implant himself in somebody with sufficient power and so he like lures carol there and then seduces her and he says like god the the phrasing is so bad he's like just let me let me pull it up here well are you are you talking about when he had shakespeare write a sonnet yeah to aid my purpose i brought others in from earth's time continuum he wants to like seduce her basically he like brings her here to seduce her which like it kind of shows that she's just in this weird fugue state like she's walking around in this dreamy state with Shakespeare, literally like shakespeare there reciting a sonnet beethoven is playing the piano she's like confused he says finally after relative weeks of such efforts and admittedly with a subtle boost from amortis's machine which are like I think he says something like persuasion machines or like con- mind control machines. Yeah. Uh, you became mine. And then it like shows them having sex. He's like, I was able to implant my essence within you, causing a condition that resembles pregnancy. So basically implants himself in her so that when she comes back to Earth, she will birth him, her son, but also lover, also rapist. Uh, That was pretty concisely summed up for yeah. one of the... No, the worst idea we've seen in comics so far. Also, yes. one of the most confusing and insanely comic booky. Um, in terms Super of comic how, book-y. yeah, in terms of how time travel just gets like, you can just eat your own fist with this stuff. You know, where like <laughs> you're telling a story about at some point, at some point, there should be a room full of of people working on this, saying, "Wait, so this guy." impregnated his mom in order to birth himself so that he could be in a loop of seducing her and impregnating uh-huh. her again and and somebody should have said hmm hmm not sure that's the best story so to th- tell. there's there's levels of how bad this is oh yeah the immediate level is that that is sexual assault <laughs> uh he level, literally we'll admit- call that well what should we defcon DEFCON 10 or whatever, whatever the highest level is, right? I don't know if one level is higher one or 10 higher. Yeah, that, that's is real Carol nasty. Danvers has yes. been sexually assaulted. 
right? Like it's sexually assaulted. No bones she's about like, it. this is yeah, not yeah. consensual. No, it is not. Uh, she goes off with him. He like needs to return to his time and place, space, whatever. He's fading away or something, and she's just like, oh, well, I, we never got a chance to see our love bloom or whatever. And people are like, are you sure? And she's like, I gotta take a risk somehow. And everyone's like, good for you, Carol. Like, follow your heart. And everyone's like, follow wow. your heart, girl. Yeah. Uh, and they just, like, let her leave with the man who just, like, admitted to using machinery to convince her to have sex with him so that he could implant himself in her, like, a un... You know, th- this completely coerced pregnancy. It does seem like the Avengers, having heard that story, right, should be like, hey, we should probably step They're in mostly here just and like chase away like, this son of this time is, traveling villain. This is confusing, but I guess... Good thing Carol figured it out. And Which I will say, I will say, I agree. It is confusing as heck. Mm-hmm. So that that's nasty. All that's bad. I mean, I don't even like. It's just right there on its surface. It's not even like this subtext. I think the second level of this that's nasty is this whole weird underlying thing where like Carol has the baby, and then the there's like this arc that she goes through of not wanting it because it's not her. Like, uh-huh. the wasp comes up to her and is like, Carol, congratulations, he's beautiful. And she's like, congratulations? Like, how dare you? This baby isn't mine. Like, I didn't want this baby. But it's kind well, of she, framed as like... She's also confused and, and I mean, just like, not not that we typically say, imagine what it'd be like to be a character in this situation because it's Marvel Comics, but you go through a pregnancy in three days and then have a kid? Right, you know? exactly. Like, right. You'd be in a like, state of shock. Yeah. But then it is kind of framed as her arc that she grows to be like, all right, this is just the next step in my life. I need to go, you know, I'm going to go face the baby and meet him finally because it's my responsibility as its mother to like, like she kind of like comes to terms with being its mother and like that this is now her thing. Like, it's just this wildly weird kind of creepy thing where it's just like she has no agency. I mean, she had no agency over her body. From Marcus's point of view, with sexually assaulting her, she also has mm-hmm. no agency whether or not... Like, I I don't think there's this, like, heavy-handed pro-life message in here, but it is not hard to read this as basically, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you uh, had sex or not. doesn't matter if you chose to have a baby or not. This baby's your responsibility because it came out of your body. <laughs> like, that's the extent of this. Uh well, it's, it's not the extent of it, <laughs> because then that spirals into even stranger territory, which is when this baby grows up in the span of a few hours, you should fall in love with him and right. then I mean, seek a romantic oh, relationship God, in limbo. I just, because the, then it, it, it hits a point. It's like thing after thing is just unbelievable and worse and worse and worse. It yep. all just kind of spirals into one of the most historically bad Ideas oh, yeah. I and mean, comics, widely considered like, in, like not just in Avengers, but in Marvel's history. Yeah. Um. So uh, it's worth noting the uh, the credits on plot here are Shooter, Perez, Layton, and Michelini. Um. I've only read Jim Shooter's response to this, which is basically, I don't remember having anything to do with this. I feel like I would have remembered this crossing my desk because it's such a bad idea. I would have stopped it. Ultimately, though, I was editor-in-chief, so the buck stops with me. It shouldn't have happened. Which is, like, a little bit of, like, maybe uh, equivocating uh, responsibility there. Right. But also at least saying, ultimately, it was my fault. 
uh, and it shouldn't have happened. Because he does come out and say, like, there's no bones about it. This is a disgusting story. So like, Yeah, it, and I think one of the interesting that, like, things about the reaction to this issue is it was pretty immediate, you know? So I, you I know, think oh, I, one I thing we have a the... lot of in, in with our podcast is, like, you and I are looking back 30 years later, yeah. you know, at yeah, stuff, yeah. or, or more, right, in a lot of the cases building up to this point. And there's some contextualizing we're doing where we're like, well, maybe for the time, this and that, blah, blah, blah. The reaction sure. to this was, at least from some very vocal corners, like, pretty quick in terms of being like, wait, that's rape. Also, you know, that's not that's not like a modern recasting of what's appropriate in a relationship. Like, that's just what people saw in this issue, because that's what happens here. Uh, it's it's not good uh, at all, really, in any way. And it's going we're going to get to it. I I don't know that it's spoiling it to say like the the issue isn't. The issue has to get solved by Marvel, um, and they're going to bring in some some familiar faces and names to do that in a later story. It's going to be probably the most prominent example of like retconning slash Marvel in, in story re uh, like what's the word like trying like salvaging trying. a mess. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 is not worth this happening for this follow up issue, but you do. I think there is a little bit of catharsis to be had in the way that Claremont later is going to come in and respond to this in-universe. It is actually, yeah, I don't know, there's something about it where it's like, it's refreshing, it's nice to see an actual, like, mea culpa A little bit, sorts. yeah, because they often you know? don't. <laughs> I feel like they often do not own up. You know, I, I'm curious to see how much I feel like it actually lands that, because my, my memory of it is being like, oh, wow, they're really addressing it, but, you know, I haven't read this in a while. I, I know at the time I thought they did. Yeah. Um, I thought they did quite well. But yeah, I mean, I... It's. I guess there are two aspects. One, you can be really outraged and sort of mad about the, like you said, sort of the tier one layer of what happens in this book. <laughs> like the words, it, we don't toss around lightly at all the fact that sexual assault and incest are prominently used in this comic, you know, yeah. and, and sort of happen to Carol Danvers, like for no for no other reason than to tell a weird time travel story, you know, like not that there's a good excuse ever, but just that excuse in particular is like, you're doing all of this in order to accomplish what, you know, you're I think, doing this I in think, order to accomplish a weird time travel story. That yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it, this literally, this just reads as, yeah, we just didn't think about it. Like we never, as a complete lack of like empathy towards, women in a way of ever considering like a perspective in in it, it, yeah this just feels like a, a big miss in like oh what would this actually be like for a woman who's a you know a human being it kind of just yeah. feels like women are plot points and pregnancies are plot points for women and that's uh, what we're going to use it's a sci-fi pregnancy story so yeah ill-considered bad job if we have any um female listeners who are interested in writing in uh i think i mean i think we're you know, <laughs> lashing this comic uh, as it deserves. But um, I would be curious to hear some female perspectives on this if anyone wants to write in and let us know. Yeah. All right. Is that is that it for... That's it for everything but Uncanny X-Men. Saving the, the 6.10 for last. The 6.10. 6, 6, 6 out of 10. 6.10 out of 10. Interesting it. rating. Okay, yeah. So we'll we'll come back from Avengers 200, which is just like 
mind-boggling in every sense that it yep. happened and was yep, published. Yep, yep. And we'll go instead to uh, a story that has long been celebrated, rightly so. Okay, so I, I've been getting, yeah, this is 129 to 137. <laughs> I get, like, I still regularly get, you know, just like, pfft, Zach, who doesn't think Claremont's any good in 1975, this, like, scoffing... You know, kind of like, ugh, he just doesn't get it. And that's just, I, that's like just um at home? Yeah, that's <laughs> just my, my wife who street. doesn't, yeah, Rose doesn't even read these comics, but she's just like, you just don't get Claremont, idiot. Uh, idiot. No, like, I just regularly get this thing where it's just like, I, I think Claremont's fine early on, just not great. I have never felt more vindicated in my position that like 75 through 77 Claremont is good, just fine. Because, like, in comparison, these are worlds apart in quality, right? Like, the difference between this and the original Phoenix Saga, I feel like there is no comparison. Yeah, I guess the one like, the one thing that makes sense about your your long running, uh, you know, argument, general, just that like blood feud I actually with don't Chris think Claremont, early work, <laughs> right? Your long running blood feud <laughs> is that is that if you say in seventy eight, for example, um, he's he's out of this park good. Then by the time you get to eighty, is you run out of superlatives for the Dark Phoenix saga, yeah, and, and mean, sort like, of acknowledging the fact that like clearly there's a progression of quality here. Yeah, clearly yeah, from sure. issue Uncanny X Men number ninety four, building up to the end of this in number one thirty seven, there is a progression of weaving stories together, of using those earlier stories to build to a point. Yeah, because oh, that's can, the thing you can too. See the the way that he, you know, like. He's always been good at characterization and the the dynamics of the characters bouncing off each other. Even when I think mm-hmm. the plot happening around them is kind of dull or maybe the art isn't supporting it or he's overwriting the narration. I think you can see the the bits that are like real standout, even from the stuff that I've been a little bit more lukewarm on. Um, but by now, like, I feel like it is just like he's just chipped away all the fat. Maybe not all the fat, but most of the fat. And it is just like very lean. Very like everything that is great is you know I don't know that here. it's lean so much as everything's moving with such purpose yes. that it can hold yeah, the yeah. weight. Yep. Like every yep. piece of this is mo- there. There's no part of the Dark Phoenix Saga's eight whatever plus issues that nine issues that right. I read and think nine and and that I read and think like oh this is the part I don't like or something like each there's character one each even Professor X being. So Professor X comes back from space in this, and it's not like the main crux of the issue, so I'm just going to throw it out here. And he's like returned to Uncanny X-Men number one professor, but with the new team. Oh, I love it. It's kind of, it's it's a strange decision to do now, but it's so good. Like, okay, it's so just, it shows Cyclops' progression, it shows he, the team's progression. I mean, it, they, they all get back together at the, the mansion, and Wolverine stomps out of a danger room session and Xavier is just barking orders and yelling at them. And uh, mm-hmm. he gives Wolverine 10 demerits, which is very funny. Uh, yeah. And Cyclops is like, oh, I mean, what do you, what what are demerits going to do like to Wolverine? He's an adult. He's an adult man, Xavier. Like he, he's, <laughs> he's your age. What are you talking about? Yeah. And he's, you know, Professor X is like, you know, don't tell me how to do my job. They establish this rift between the two of them in their philosophical differences. That is like it's touching on the like personalities of the two of them, their past relationship, each of their relationships with the X-Men as a team. Right. And also this like meta commentary of what the X-Men has become versus what it used to be. 
And this all happens in two pages, less than two pages. So like I right. it is it's incredible. Well, and then in small spurts, like, like throughout the rest of the stories, you know, yeah, like right, this yeah, is, but like this you, is the like X plot, you know, to use yeah. the to use the pun of this book. But it's like it's done well, and by I don't know one thirty four ish or so, Professor X is admitting to Angel like. Yeah, I was a real jerk. Like he, like yeah. he sees it too. That's the thing. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah, just little stuff like that. So there's, so there's well done. one part of this entire thing that I think is not quite as up to snuff with the rest of it. I'm curious Ooh. to see if you. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it's <laughs> which, pretty which small. I, oh, I let, let, we'll wait till we get to it because it's it's later on. I just want to get to it naturally. You know um, what I was actually kind of struck by reading huh. this again is how much. How much kind of starts here, you know? So, like, mm, obviously, yeah. it's the culmination of everything that's changed in X Men since 1975. You know, like I said, it's the Dark Phoenix Saga, but really, it's one big Phoenix Saga, almost just getting to this point. And but how much stuff is introduced here? Like in 129, we get the introduction of Kitty Pride, who's like one of the biggest characters in X Men for the remainder of the 1980s. This is where she gets her debut, and we get a really nice back and forth Emma Frost trying to recruit her to the Hellfire Academy um you know going to her parents and saying hey I think your daughter's got a place with us and then Professor X and the X-Men showing up and trying to recruit Kitty to their camp as she sort of you know is dealing with migraines and Kitty figuring Pride out so hey, cool. I might be like, a mutant. Uh, you're a Kitty Pride fan right <clears throat> yeah who isn't I think a lot of people now, I think Kitty Pride gets like I think she's got her detractors for thinking that she's uh, you know I, don't I know. mean, there there are different versions of Kitty, certainly, and and this the teenage, just like oh god, the I don't know, almost she's... audience insert character, but also like she's so gangly and oh, awkward. She is, yeah. And I she love doesn't it. know how to do she's anything also, because why would she? She's she keeps talking about how she's thirteen and a half, which is so cute, and like she's a, right, she's a child, such, you such know? a nice. Well, the fact that she calls that she's not thirteen, that she keeps. Underlying the fact that she's 13 and a half is such a good touch, like yeah. such a nice little mm-hmm. touch of characterization. Mm-hmm. I really like, oh, um, just a second, let me step back for a second. They all leave Muir Island at the beginning. No, wait, wait. We got called out by our Irish listener for saying Muir wrong. I think it's Muir. Damn it. There's Dave. no way that's right. Dave, that, that our Irish Dave, our listener is going to be so mad at me. Um, yeah, it's not Muir. Muir. I know it's not Muir. Muir. You know, it should just be Moira Island. Moira Ireland. Yeah. Okay. Um, Moira Ireland. <laughs> Banshee stays there with Moira. Yep. Because his he's still injured. Like his vocal cords are still injured. I love this. Not because like you're a big I Banshee mean, Moira guy. I don't. Uh, I don't like. Well, yeah. No, their relationship is good. I actually like. At one point, he walks in on Moira working, and he's just like. You know, I can't remember. Do you want to go for a jog with me? And she's just like, hell no, I, no. And he's like, do you want to fool around? <laughs> Which is really funny. And also like the most casual reference to like adult sexuality. I feel like we've seen where it's just kind of like, yeah, he's just an adult. And he would be like, you want to fool around? And she says like, you know, this, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Something like that. Like I'm just yeah, too yeah. exhausted. It's fun. It's just like, yeah, they're adults. They have a uh, you know, sexual relationship. They got um, a whole research facility to themselves. Nothing but time. But well, and Jamie Madrox, which is oh yeah, and all ex- his and all his dupes just walking around. Yeah, one assumes. Um, I I just love that he gets benched <sighs> here because like, I think he's a much more interesting character as just like the support. Like he's not that. It, it's a weird decision to bench him, but it's just like his powers never worked. His powers were never that interesting. 
but he's also a good character, right? Like he's a good like I I, I know, very much a... like him in the support off with my role. I mean, that's yeah. clearly what he's been trending to all along. Yeah. Plus like like you said, it it wasn't even that he couldn't fit with the X-Men, it's just like the narrative never yeah. allowed and, for it. And it's it like a never smart choice to be like he's a good like people like him. He's a good guy. Yeah. But he's not like a fun superhero. So let's just keep him around but not as a superhero. Feels yeah. really smart. Um Scott and Jean also have a moment of coming together. I complained in the past. Maybe I complained. I, I think I pointed out and maybe was a little incredulous about how quickly Scott, like when Scott thought that Jean Grey was dead, he yeah. was just like, yeah, it's weird. I don't feel, I feel literally nothing about this. Oh, well, I guess I'm just moving on. And like, mm-hmm. that felt kind of crazy to me. Um, sure. it, it's explained here. And it kind of feels like maybe Chris Claremont had a plan for this, which he's just saying, like Scott was saying, that was so overwhelming of a feeling that he basically just shut down and like couldn't process it right like he felt nothing because he couldn't allow himself to feel anything over it and they reconnect and it's actually very sweet uh except for the fact i do think the 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 ability of claremont's to whether he had that plan or not to make it feel like it was there all along yeah is definitely one of his greatest strengths yeah because like you said otherwise it's got that feeling of like, well, why did he act that way? That was weird. And you could just brush it aside, but they address it very, very head on and make it a part of their relationship in a way that is like, it feels authentic. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like, okay, yeah, one of you could have acted strangely um, because they thought the other was dead. Like that, <laughs> like who's to say how one would react in that situation. Right. And then they, they change the, you know, change the the game when they get back together. It makes the, a lot of sense. And they, re- they reconnect on the Blackbird on their way back back from scotland is muir yeah. island in scotland okay uh and i like that the narrative box like if the camera pulls back to the outside of the ship and it's like a few kisses a few touches but mostly conversation and it's uh like i just think it's funny because it's a very small cockpit and there's like seven people in there and just imagine the two of them just really making everyone uncomfortable in the black well bird. especially wolverine obviously who is yeah not yeah. happy right with the way things are going for him. So, so yeah, we get to kind of old-fashioned X-Men business, which is recruiting new students. They go to Kitty mm-hmm. Pride, like you said. Emma Frost is trying to recruit Kitty Pride for the Massachusetts Academy. Is that what it's called? I think they're just calling it... It might be the Frost Academy at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. Um, But Kitty Pride like, immediately gets pulled into this X-Men business because the Hellfire Club also gets introduced, and they are sending these like men in these powered suits that counteract mutant powers, whatever um, mm-hmm. to attack the X-Men and to like capture them. And Kitty pride gets all wrapped up in this, which is really fun. Like it's a really fun way of introducing her character that she gets to be the one who rescues them. She kind of tags along because they don't know her powers, which are facing through the wall or facing through objects. Right. Um, and she kind of gets to rescue them. Um, let's see, what else here? We find out about the Hellfire Club. They're this, like, secret, you know, club of rich business magnates, uh, you know, leaders of industry from all over the world. There's an inner club that wants to rule everything. We're introduced to some of them. They use, like, what is it, like, the Black King, Black Queen, Red King, Red Queen thing. Right. And the biggest two characters in their ranks that we, you know, are, are introduced to here are Emma Frost. Of course, who is their white queen. And she has, uh, you know, psychic telepathic powers, as we will see. Like almost on par with Jean Grey and 
Professor X. Well, like, so we see over the next couple yeah. issues that, you know, Jean and Emma get into a fight and Emma's holding her own uh, for a decent chunk of time before yeah. Jean like really begins unleashing the powers of the Phoenix. Yep. And that's where we're going to see. So Jean still is infused with the powers of the Phoenix and can essentially one up anyone. She has also put on these uh, psychic barriers. Myra describes them as in she, order she calls to them keep the like totality of the power breakers. in check. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which is a good analogy because the totality of the power uh, Myra has said, you know, it, like basically it will just drive Jean mad. It's too much, which I do appreciate. This is something that Marvel, I think can, can overuse maybe sometimes now, but there are so many cosmic artifacts and cosmic beings in this universe, right? Like the idea that it can be too much for the human mind, it ties back to coming at Galactus when Johnny Storm gets the ultimate nullifier and he's got that, you know, crazy Jack Kirby eye look. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ants were just ants. That that's Jean. That's oh, that kind of comes in. You know what? The Phoenix. I, I had thought of that because this that kind of happens later, something very specific like that. <clears throat> yeah. Or uh, analogous to that. And I was like, I feel like we've seen this in Marvel one other time. And that was that. Yeah. So let, let's see. What else? Um, so Sebastian Shaw is the head of the Hellfire Club. He is a mutant who can like absorb power, like absorb kinetic energy, I think, and store it as potential energy, something like that. Yeah, yeah. If you um, punch him, he just gets stronger, basically. Yep. Not like Hulk, but like like he just absorbs it. Kind of like Black Panther's suit in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and then Jason Wingarden, who we've been seeing. We've been seeing this guy for a while. He's the one who's like seducing Jean Grey in her weird little dreams that she thinks are her flashing back to I think like eighteenth century. Uh, and she believes that like, oh, this is an ancestor of mine, and she kind of loses herself in these weird, like penny romance sweeping romantic novels almost right. like with jason wingarden um i would say he's best like, known for an incredible mustache and sideburn combo right he's very uh, handsome working well on which Jean. Is, he's so handsome but that's like kind of the weird little twist of this is that this is actually mastermind yeah uh, and Which is an is, awesome twist. I think like I don't think of good, it as a twist now, but it's really well done. And it digs it digs deep into X-Men history. Because when the like Mastermind has been around since like what, sixty five or something? Like who knows? Original original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, you know, who, who was kind of underused, but it's like consistent with his characterization then, which is He was creepy towards kind of Wanda. a sex creep, yeah. 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 And like there's a couple fun little hints about this, like um, so they go, Gene and Cyclops go looking for another mutant, which turns out to be Dazzler at a disco. Mm-hmm. And Jason Wingarden is there and he like grabs Gene and kisses her, um, which gross. Like in the middle of the dance floor, right? In front right. Of like just kind of literally. Cyclops' reaction every time Gene like, st- starts making out with this stranger is always pretty funny because he's like, mm, that's weird. Can't deal with it right now. <laughs> it's like very <laughs> yeah. understated, you know? Even yeah. Though it's yeah. like, what? Um, the. Um, but then as they're leaving, like, as the headlights pass over him, he's outside smoking a cigarette or lighting a cigarette, Jason Wingarden. The headlights pass. It puts his silhouette up on the wall, and his silhouette is clearly not Jason Wingarden. Yeah, it looks that's just cool like detail. Mastermind. That is a... Which, because Mastermind kind of has this, like, schlubby look. He's got this, like, double chin and a very broad nose. And, like, you know what I was thinking? Mastermind is so clearly, like... I, I almost wanted to go to, like, a Reddit incel forum and look up mastermind because he's clearly like written for incels like 
he he is all about this thing <laughs> he, of like he's definitely not. <laughs> if no, he definitely that that is what Chris, maybe retroactively was he invite- was not written with that in mind. I'm no, saying. no, he wasn't written that with that in mind. But no, I'm saying like I could easily see him being the hero of this because it's like yeah, I'm a I'm a very average looking man, not even bad looking, just average. But I believe that like attract physical attractiveness is all women base you know their uh love on in the sexual marketplace and so i have to be a 10 out of 10 and like i need to turn myself into a chad to seduce this woman like <laughs> there's i have i am I th- so baffled by the things you say sometimes yeah i think i uh, think if he you reminds know me a lot about, of like the could... purple man idea that has yeah, gotten used sure. more modernly you know in marvel which is to say like hey what if the villain was a super creep <laughs> yeah. and they have these powers of influence that's what mastermind's doing here yeah. it, there is it, the reason is not only what you're saying, which is Mastermind's own interest in, you know, uh, being a, like, in, in using his power for his own benefits, but also the Hellfire Club wants Jean to join them, basically of her own free will. So they'll have her basically as a weapon, you know, like basically have her power at their disposal um, and to have her at their disposal as this, like, again, the Hellfire Club, I know you mentioned, but it's very wealthy, very, like, um, this kind of like seedy, sexy, uh, I don't know if S and M's the right terminology for it, but like everyone dresses up in leather and, you know, like these outfits that are, you know, intentionally like, uh, provocative. So they're trying to get Gene into that. So after Dazzler, uh, the Hellfire Club, which also do... Dazzler looks cool, can dazzle people with lights. I, I, she's, I mean, she's, she's the disco hero, right? She's got on the disco yeah. outfit. She's in a seedy bar. And performing, you know, she does yeah, her light talk show about, and singing. We can talk about her later when she comes up in like another comic, because honestly, she doesn't add that much to this. You know, she, she is not the point I'm talking about, but she is something of a like, oh, this doesn't particularly, this isn't particularly interesting. In this, in this story, you mean? In this I mean, instance, she's just, I she's just here. She's not, yeah, they could have just been going to the with, disco with anything going on. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that there's this additional mutant here, but yes, yeah, you're maybe. right. Like it's, her, it's fine. her introduction yeah. isn't crucial to Dark Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so once they, let's see, where does, because they, they get captured here, I think. Yeah, um, so some of the them Hellfire get captured. Of some of them decide to like have an assault on the Hellfire Club. Oh, wait, no. So the important thing is they all go out west to see Angel, who has not been an X-Men for a while. We haven't seen him in a while. He's off like running his company out in the... Uh, I don't know, the middle of the desert. And him and Jean Grey just have, like, like they meet up and just have this full-on, like, open-mouth kiss in front of Scott. Like, he's just like, Jean, how are you? I haven't seen you in so long. And then just, like, grabs her chin, and they just go in for, like, a passionate smooch. It's very yeah. weird, because both of their significant others are literally right there. And it's Including just this, Including Candy like, Southern, Warren's girlfriend, right. who has an incredible name. Which is just like, oh, is this... Is just this like a hippie thing? Is this just a like a free love thing that Chris is part of? And he's just like, yeah, this is how young people hang out. Like they just, you know, it's not like a kiss on the cheek. It's just a full on romantic face. Just smooch. a quick makeout. Yeah, yeah. Just a, yeah, qu- yeah. a quick welcome. I mean, you know out. what? Like, I don't hate it. I like I like a good smooch. Yeah, you wouldn't. You yeah. wouldn't. Um, and you then dog. we get this. Gra- don't don't dog. Don't kink shame me when my kink is just. Smooching. <laughs> Welcoming smooching. I've got yeah. a I've got a kiss fetish. Um we get this great scene of Jean Grey and Scott going off to this like butte and hanging out up on this butte. 
Uh, and they they have this like picnic, this romantic picnic, where Jean Grey takes off his glasses and just through like her sheer power as Phoenix, is able to hold back his eye beams so that she can like make out with him without glasses on because making out with glasses on is kind of a pain. I think that's I think that was her rationalization. <laughs> Said with too much experience and sadness. <laughs> well, in the you voice. just like I mean, you end up like you know, nosing the other person's glasses and like leaving a mark on it. And then you got to get out the mudging and it's the microfiber cloth. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, the important thing here is she's using the Phoenix powers in new ways. She can hold back his optic it is, it's, glass it's a really and who knows nice, what else. It's a nice moment though. Like you feel like a nice moment of connection there. Like Scott feels vulnerable and like is able to kind of let go with her. And I do always wonder, like, does she also make that butte a little more comfortable? Because oh. laying down and trying to get busy with your sig on a rocky mountaintop sounds uncomfortable. You've never, you've never made love on a butte, Dave. I didn't say I hadn't done it. I just said it sounded uh, uncomfortable. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, with me, it's always uncomfortable. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> with me, it's always a butte. <laughs> oh, nice one. That's, now yours was better. Um, okay, so with that established, they do this assault on the Hellfire Club. Um, I don't remember exactly who's going in. I think Colossus, Beast, Wolverine, and Storm are going in because Cyclops and Cyclops and Jean have been captured, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this like fun scene. We get some other members of the Hellfire Club, which is Leland and not Parker. Um, oh, the piece the piece that I was trying to get to earlier that I just remembered is Kitty Pride sees them get captured and she uh gets a a note basically. Yeah, Storm, she gets the yeah. number to call from from Storm and says, "Hey, call this number." And that that alerts yes. Nightcrawler to what's going on. So Kitty does get to actually uh contribute very early on. See, and then and then the White Queen Ember Frost very quickly turns and uh tries to murderize her, the thirteen and a half year old girl she very recently tried to recruit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh they, they launched this like they, they kind of sneak in as guests to the Hellfire Club because there's this banquet going on. Senator Kelly right. is there who's gonna become a big player later as like an anti mutant government person. Mm-hmm. We yeah. get some other Hellfire people called one called Leland this big guy who can manipulate the mass of things around him which is quite fun he uh he like just increases the mass on wolverine to crush him into the ground but basically instead of crushing him like into a puddle wolverine takes like can just take it so he pushes him through the ground and he goes flying through several floors of the house into the sewers (laughs) which i love um but then Sebastian Shaw and this other guy who's just a robot, like, or a cyborg. Donald Pierce is Pierce, a cyborg. Yeah. Which yeah. I love that, like, no explanation. No, you know, he's not a mutant. He's just like, Wolverine cuts his arm off and it's just like, yeah, doesn't matter. That was a cyborg arm, idiot. I mean, you gotta have a robot so you can give somebody, <laughs> yeah. you can show Wolverine, chomp it up. That is a fair point, yeah. Yeah. Um, Wolverine getting knocked, so all the rest of the X-Men get captured. Wolverine is the only one who's out because he's in the sewers. And we get an issue of Wolverine being the coolest. Like, maybe the beginning of Wolverine, like, of them just saying, like, oh, Wolverine, he's cool. It's definitely one of the most iconic Wolverine panels of all time. The bottom of the sewer. Yeah. With him looking up, saying, now it's my turn. And then issue 133, it (sighs) is his turn. With him doing that, like, Sam Fisher thing of, like, propping himself up in the ceiling. Like, holding himself over. And the, the henchmen are, like... I love that the, he's dripping wet from the sewer, and they're just like, hmm, water dripping on my face. I wonder where that's coming from. Oh, my God. 
but like but I love vocalizing that water's dripping on your face, which is something that I feel like happens in comics a lot of just like Yeah. Oh man, where's this water coming from? It's uh, it's just uh, oh god, it's just it keeps hitting me right on the no oh. Alright, I better look up now. Oh. Oh, you with me? Yeah. Wait, oh, okay. Hang on. <laughs> I thought you just like had no, no response. You, you cut to out during that joke. bit. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it <laughs> yeah, was give excellent. Me, uh, yeah, just um, do a do a good laugh here. I'll just cut it in like it was natural. Oh, 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 oh. perfect. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. So this is definitely like kind of Wolverine at his most menacing that yeah, we've I, seen so far. He gets uh, he's really cool. like. Oh, I mean, he's straight up killing guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. like yeah. he's chopping people up. Uh, it's not graphic. Certainly, I wouldn't no. say, but there no. can be little doubt about his intent. Um, and then, of course, as all this is happening, Jean has like more or less succumbed to the Black Queen nature. She is in full Hellfire Club garb. She is at the whims of Jason Wingard, and the X Men are captured. Cyclops has a big old red—I uh, don't know if it's ruby quartz or what. Yeah, ruby quartz thing covering his yep. head, yep, yep. and so it's like she can't quite see him now. Cyclops, while imprisoned, his gambit to escape is to utilize. The famous psychic rapport that he shares with Jean Grey. They, they just and established to hop up on into that her beaut. psyche scape. Yeah, right. So they've now got the shared connection. And uh, he does this. He goes into like the Renaissance fair that Jean's been hanging out in. And uh, he gets into a sword fight with Jason Wingard. But mm-hmm. for unfortunately, it does not go so well for Cyclops. He appears to fall to his demise at the end of 133, bringing us to. Heroes in Hellfire in 134. And that, like, Cyclops falling dead is what kind of snaps Jean Grey out of it. She plays along as being, you know, the the Red Queen for a while. Black Queen? Mm-hmm. Black Queen. Um, for a while. Oh, there's some, like, I did. I I didn't feel totally comfortable with this. Of uh, uh, we did the, but we bypassed the Jean's calling Aurora a slave thing. Yeah, talking about her being like this, you know, like escaped slave because she's seeing everybody as if they're, you know, from colonial, you know, like early 18th century or something. Okay, so we had to take uh, just just because I don't remember where we took this. We just clipped this. I'm just going to throw it in here so people know. Um, oh, I know where we were. Von du- well, I do, but like I, I we do this sometimes and then I don't have a good natural point to edit them together because I don't uh-huh. remember the exact wording of where we were. So I'm just going to be honest with the folks instead of lie to them, Dave. Von Doom Busing started puking. Dave had to run for a minute, so we had to have a cut. Now we're back. Okay. I think a more natural <laughs> cut would have been next in Uncanny X-Men, number 134. Well, right? we were in the you middle of talking tell. about... We were in the middle of talking of uh, about how Jean Grey was talking to Storm like she was a slave and how that's uncomfortable. I don't think I have anything to say about it except that it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of uncomfortable and used as, I don't know, Maybe it's a not, little too bl- blasé. Yeah, I wouldn't like, that's like. I wouldn't jump nasty. up on a pedestal and say it's bad or it's wrong or something to that effect. So much as yes, it's definitely uncomfortable. I mean, it is clearly described as Jean being given full, giving in fully to evil, giving yeah, in sure, fully to sure, sure. darkness, essentially enacting this way. So like, it's not like there's a secret. Um, you know, like, oh, Subtext. this is, yeah, you know, but yes, it's, no, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's just there that are thing where, like, nuanced. you're a superhero comic, like, be careful before you wade into this stuff, you know? Like, there's a lot of topics you just shouldn't dance around casually in your sci-fi fantasy novel or <laughs> comic book. Yeah. Uh, and this feels like one of them. Um. So, okay, so 
Jean Grey, Jean Grey breaks out of this like mind control. She corners Jason Wingarden, aka Mastermind, and like we said, well, and we should Storm, credit. We should credit Wolverine coming to the rescue as kind of the, the oh, trigger yes, that yes. kind of well, helps Wolver- her break out of things. I think it's actually like it's the fact that Cyclops gets killed, like snaps her out of it, um, or, or so and then it seems, she used. Right. Yeah, and then Wolverine coming in like provides a distraction for her to free Cyclops, who frees the rest of the X Men, and then they kind of rout the enemy, seemingly killing the uh, the cyborg guy and Leland. Which I yeah, Pierce can't hang on to his arm, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got an expendable arm, so we're just gonna bust yeah. that constantly. Uh, I yeah. do, I do actually think Wolverine taking down Leland a second time is, and and Cyclops asking him like, "Hey, what happened to him?" And Wolverine's response is "Don't ask." Is mm-hmm. maybe the like coolest takedown Wolverine will have cool for boy. a while. Like yeah, this is sure. definitely like like oh yeah Wolverine. Like this is uh, uh, the peak of him just being cool. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's the beginning of that. They also have not established that he has a healing factor yet. It's crazy. That's still kind of unknown. They like kind no, of we talked about dance that. around. I don't think they have said that like. He basically the dinosaur. Take a bullet yeah, yeah, just... no, because he punched the dinosaur in the mouth, and he was like, "Don't worry, I heal quick." Yeah, I guess they just haven't talked about it too. They don't talk about it nonstop, it... like his his healing factor. Like that's a really well established well, thing. Well, now. there's this thing here where like he gets shot by one of these goons, and it's just like, oh, lucky that just grazed me. Like it didn't hit me full on. I'm I'm lucky that it just grazed me. And it's like, yeah, it's not the modern end. day Wolverine could just get shot full on, and you know, glance, it's not that glance yet. right off of him. No, yeah. no. Um. Okay, so Jean Grey goes wild on Mastermind and, like, kind of gets her revenge, which I think it's good <laughs> because he has yeah. basically been sexually assaulting her this entire time, like, manipulating her into smooching him over and over again. Um, and it's nice that she gets a little moment of, like, you know, she gets her power back and kind of gets revenge on him for doing this. Well, and, I think and the way nice she gets revenge her... is what we alluded to earlier, which is she opens up his mind to the totality to, to th- of the Phoenix. Of the of the cosmos basically it's just yeah. like you understand the intricacies of you know cosmic understanding whatever and it's too much for your mind to handle any cracks um i think and we'll get back to this later because i want to talk about this later i think it's important that it is gene who gets her revenge on mastermind and not like wolverine here. yeah that's good so this it's definitely good this it's, is a good it's yeah. deserved and she's been you know we've seen jason wimgard manipulating her for issues and issues it's not even just yeah, like a year and a half yeah yeah um okay so then Kind of a little out of nowhere, Jean is, like, talking about, like, oh, you know, this power, it's a lot. They're, like, walking out of the mansion. They're escaping. They're on the Blackbird. You say that like and, uh, like someone would say, oh, I should not have had that fourth taco. Oh, my, my tummy hurts I a little bit. I should not have had that fourth Ooh. taco. This, oh, here, that extra phoenix I had at the end there. Oh, oh, reflux. Oh, here comes the dark phoenix. Does anybody have um, any Tums? I think, like, the transition here is a little uh, a little odd. I feel like if you didn't, if I didn't know this was coming, I guess I would be surprised, but not in a way that like was like, oh, what a twist. I'd be a little surprised. i like, oh, wait, what? what You're talking happened? about why? Dark Phoenix versus the X-Men now, which is what we segue into. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Why do you think what here triggers her like to transition into the Dark Phoenix at the end of this issue? Well, so I think the, the in-story reasons would be the circuit breakers have been broken now. The damage is done by Wingard and the by Wingard. Club, okay. even though they lost control of her. That was kind of a fool's errand to begin with. Now it's really just like Jean is opened up too much to the the Phoenix, and this was what okay. she was trying to prevent yeah, to begin with. That makes sense. Okay. 
Um, so she, <laughs> on the ship, and I love this moment at the end of this, blows up the Blackhawk with her and everybody on it. Blackbird. Which just means that they all go f- hurtling through space towards the ground, which is fun. And also, like, the third time maybe we've just had a scene of every X-Men <laughs> flying towards the ground and they need to, you know. I'm very who's pro got Wolverine? X-Men Who's comics. got Cyclops? Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm very pro them ending they, with the ship blowing up. I think that's a, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tried and true tested uh, X-Men story. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun here. And so Jean Grey is kind of going wild as Dark Phoenix. She Her costume changes to this dark red. It's a cool costume. We get one of the coolest, like, classic covers of an X-Men comic. I think it's uh, number 136, I think. 135. With Jean... The one where she's squashing the logo. Yeah, 135. Yeah, that's giant crushing the x-men logo that is some of john byrne and we haven't i don't know if we've credited him yet but inker terry austin here with john byrne i I think is typically associated as like the ultimate inker with byrne on these x-men titles they do this cover here as well and it's a lot like um the storenko one that people think of with hulk holding up the logo yes but it's gene just squashing the x-men in the logo it is awesome and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. We've been talking Dark Phoenix Saga, and whenever I think of that, I think of it being so much of this issue specifically, like Dark Phoenix Jean fighting her teammates and having to take on Charles Xavier and, and all that, um, when the reality, obviously, is we've gone, for the majority of the story now, was like a Hellfire Club saga, <laughs> you know? Like, that's really what yep. most of this is until this point. Um, yes. But now it's now it's all Jean can't handle, Jean can't contain this force anymore she is dark phoenix and uh and clearly more powerful than the rest of the x-men right like there's there's really never and, like more powerful than like fight her and stop her she flies off of earth and we get this nice montage showing like just how powerful she is which is like she speeds up uh you know like flies past the planet she uses the sun's gravitational pull to hurdle her <laughs> out of the galaxy and then opens up a wormhole to like leap across the galaxy or the yep. universe like into another galaxy then she gets a little tired from doing that and decides to just snack on a sun like flies to the center of a sun and like again this is one of these things uh, chris claremont is just reading like oh i guess that was john bird before reading some science facts because he specifically lists how many you know degrees celsius it is at the center of the sun and gene gray goes there and just absorbs the power of a sun mm-hmm. which there's a sentient there's a planet with sentient life here um, yeah. in this solar system, yeah. and it is wiped out. It is just like there's a cataclysmic event where the star goes supernova, and it wipes out this planet, and she just flies off not even noticing. Yeah, it almost feels... Um, it's almost It happens so quickly in the context of like, reading like two this pages. issue. You almost yeah. think it's just going to be like, oh, sorry, broccoli people. <laughs> like <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. that's not yeah, going to well, be you... dealt with. But actually, that oh. becomes the crux of the rest of the saga is... Uh, not only is she sort of out of control of her power here, but she just ended the lives of a very just specific number that I'm blanking on. Um, five billion. Five yeah. billion. Four billion. Five billion. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a genocide. Yeah. I mean, it. this is the biggest, I think this is the biggest surprise to anyone who hasn't read this before, but who has like, just through osmosis, has an understanding of what the Dark Phoenix, Dark Phoenix saga is. Yeah. Right? You kind of get this idea of like, oh, she turns into a supervillain and she's super powerful and the X-Men can't stop her. Right. It's like, no, she immediately really goes out and yeah. wipes out an entire race, right? Like, she wipes out an entire planet worth of people. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it it sits a little uncomfortably with me because I don't know how they could ever grapple with this. And I, in my reading, I don't know if they have ever fully grappled with this. Like, in a way that feels proportional. What do you mean, proportional. Like, what, what they do here? What, what the right. Phoenix Saga does to this planet? 
yeah, like this is a big deal, right? <laughs> like, and it feels kind of like um, I I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, uh, I I do we'll think they try to. I I think they try to here. Like, I mean, they quickly. no, they try to here, and it doesn't feel proportional to well, me. Well, it can't. How could it? Yeah, because you're exactly, talking about you're talking about Gene. So essentially, what happens is Gene eventually comes down with she. Yeah, we can we can is kind of fighting right Professor it, yeah. X, but Professor X is like, let me help you shut this thing down. Gene finally like does help him. Professor X could not do it by himself. Let's be clear. Um, mm-hmm. it, she does kind of like give in. She's able to help a little bit, and they are able to restrain the Phoenix yet again. But this, um, this like all of this happening has alerted the Shi'ar. The planet she destroyed is part of the Shi'ar galaxy, and they then come down and want to put Jean on trial for her actions, which is the piece of this that is, I believe, attempting to hold her accountable for yes. yeah. the five billion lives that are wiped out when she's Dark Phoenix. Now the X Men, they, I don't know. On one hand, it's like, of course they have to defend their teammate. On the mm-hmm. other hand, clearly she's was in the wrong i mean the argument and the argument that gets tossed around the phoenix a lot is she was not in control of her own actions right she was possessed therefore it's not gene's fault these things happened um whereas gene is a little more she's like i did these things like she i think she holds herself accountable and she definitely expresses guilt remorse well she talks about like that she i mean even when she goes back to gene gray she's just like oh i felt that you know like i can still feel that hunger for power i can feel what it felt like to like absorb that sun and snuff out those lives i liked it then i like it now uh and i don't like that feeling <laughs> you yeah. know like i feel the enjoyment of having done that and i don't like that yeah there's um, a there's yeah, a fair get... amount of like oh i feel dark and the thing that scares me the most is i like it like there's uh, that piece of it has Just always jared dot txt yeah yeah, that piece of it has always felt uh, kind of corny to me because it just doesn't. There's something about it that doesn't ring true with like the Let, version of Let's get of into Gene all the like, like the subtext of that. Let, let's finish up the story and then we can get into all that subtext because I think there's there's a that's what I really want to chew on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the Shi'ar wants to hold her on trial, which is like clearly she's in the wrong here. Professor X demands trial by combat, and they all get a day to kind of like recuperate because they just had a big day's fight and this is where we get like kind of one at a time including a very sexy sh- shower scene with wolverine like I, I do genuinely think that they are trying to frame wolverine as like a sex object here which i i do kind of appreciate like you get the uh the, the nude silhouette but like that nude silhouette includes all that hair i mean if you're showing that much chest hair and nobody's nobody's no, even it's, questioning that it's a sex object absolutely every inch of his body is equally covered in hair yeah <laughs> like, yeah um but you get one at a time, every X-Men kind of grappling with this idea. You know, like, Kurt talks about knowing, um, I think he talks about knowing Jews from World War Two and, like, Nazis. I, I think that's correct. Uh, but, like, how he would never be able to forgive the Nazis for what they did. So how could he forgive Jean for what she did, right? Like, she just committed genocide. Yeah. Um, you know, like, they, they're all grappling with how they feel about Jean versus what they know she did. They all still decide to... I mean, even some of them are like... I think Angel is saying something like, Professor Xavier just signed us up for trial by combat. What if I don't want to defend Jean? Like, I don't necessarily feel in the right... Like, I should be defending her here. Which I like that. You know, I like that everybody gets to actually react to things rather than just be shuffled into someone else's story. Yeah, and this is 137, which again has that super iconic cover of both uh, Cyclops and Jean fighting side by side, all torn up. Like on the dark side of the moon, the blue area of the moon. Yeah, Burning Austin's where, cover game here is like 
off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> like all of these are, you know, like frame one, one classic wall cover again. after the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they go to the blue area of the moon and they fight a, uh, like a troop of Shi'ar's finest soldiers. I don't know. It's yeah, like they fight Gladiator. The Imperial Guard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they fight Gladiator who we've seen. And then a bunch of other people that I don't know if we've seen some cool designs, but kind of just uh, interchangeable. Um, I you think know, we've seen a soldiers. bunch of them in the uh, when they fight him in the Cockrum drawn issues, but I, I think yeah. some of them might be new, like Burn and Austin designs. But yeah. um, there's one that either looks really way, cool that it's like it's clearly them. an overwhelming force. You know, like you, the yeah. whole time you get the sense that like we've seen the X Men fight against insurmountable odds, but this time genuinely feels different. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because I know how it ends, but it's like you just ne- you never get the feeling that like they're going to come out of this on top in battle. I guess. Oh, and something I really like is that the Shi'ar are in council with the Kree and the Skrull here. Yeah. Which is one of the first times, despite the Kree-Skrull war, <laughs> that I feel like there's an intergalactic community. Like, it feels like a grounded intergalactic, intergalactic, oh my god, intergalactic community of their, like, leaders and laws. And, like, the Kree and the Skrull are also like, oh, you need to destroy her because she just wiped out a planet. Like, she's a danger to all of us. And so they send their emissaries to... Um, observe, which are Rastor? Castor? What's that scroll's name? Rastor sounds right. Yeah, Rastor might be right. I don't remember the Kree's name, but they're like these two, you know, I don't know, warriors that get it's sent Raxor from their races. and Beldon. There you go. Yeah. Who, this is really funny, so they, they actually become a thing. These two specific characters, like, take note of them, they're gonna be around for a little while, and then they're gonna be around in Marvel 2020. Like, I just read a Marvel comic event setup thing that includes both these guys that is pretty interesting. Um, I'm not gonna say anything more, but like, there's a really nice, two, uh, there's a really guys, nice like, tendency of Marvel this year, 2020, to call back to things that my Marvel this year has just read. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's really wild, a lot. and uh, yeah. it's basically it's it's a nice like, um, I guess idea acknowledgement that, of the work we're doing. Well, acknowledgement of our work specifically, um, but also just like Thank yeah, you, digging CB. into Marvel's past uh, can pay off because it's building, and that's just that's how this uh, medium works. You know what? Oh, oh, so something we're talking about here. We don't have to be that oblique about it. They're setting up for an event that clearly is talking about the Celestial Madonna saga thing, which was Mantis marrying that tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the the Celestial Savior or Messiah or something they're calling it. I can't remember. Um, that's crazy. That is wild that Marvel is doing that. Not just because it's like, oh, this is digging into the past, but it's like digging into the past for a story that like most people are not familiar with. And also, do people love? Like, I like that story, okay? I had fun reading that. Oh, it's a like, huge story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a weird one to like hang your hat on. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, I love that they're taking weird risks, but... 2020 is the year um, of the telepathic plant. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so um, all the X-Men are kind of defeated one at a time. This scroll actually tries to impersonate Storm to to interfere gets caught um wolverine bumps into the watcher and like yells at him for a little while <laughs> uh, yeah i forgot that happened that's awesome yeah it's fun but ultimately all the x-men are defeated except for gene and cyclops and gene at this point like they're backed up against the wall fighting together becomes the phoenix again and it's like professor x has vowed that he basically like you know sealed the phoenix off yeah like gene gray is no longer the phoenix you don't have to kill her because the phoenix is gone like i you know like have sealed it it's done don't worry about it and then like you know 13 hours later the phoenix pops out again right um and this time uh they professor x is like okay everyone get on her kill her 
Well, it's clear there's nothing of, they could actually do to stop it, which is too bad. Jean ultimately recognizes the same, even though her and Cyclops are, you know, they're going to go down swinging. Um, but rather than allow that to happen, she she basically like begs Scott to let her, you know, let her end it essentially, you know, so he doesn't have I mean, to do against, it. But against his will, she opens up his visor and like blasts herself. Yeah, like mm-hmm. she uses her own powers to like subdue him and then like open his visor. Also, I just want to no, point no, out, he doesn't blast her dead. Yeah, that's that's what happens. No, no, no. She gets blasted by like an alien laser. Oh, is that is that what it was? Okay, yeah. I thought it was like that. Would be brutal. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Do it. I don't think. <laughs> oh that's wow. Right. Okay, I totally misread that. Okay. No. I I, I do need to point out that Cycla or um Wolverine and Colossus did a fastball special, but in reverse, where because they're on the moon and the gravity is lesser. Um, Wolverine picks up Cyclops in his human form, in his flesh yeah. form, and threw him at Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> That was very fun. Um, it, well, Cyclops is like, ah, Wolverine asks me to kill a friend. <laughs> like, because he throws him at Jean Grey. Yeah. Yeah, okay, but that's so the that, end. So Jean, uh, Jean takes herself out in order to stop the Phoenix, and the X-Men are quite bitter at the Shi'ar, at, you know, for forcing them into this, essentially, but I think there's also a sense of, like, well, what other options did we have, really? Like, yep. clearly, this thing was, was out of control. And, and so the idea... Is of course much like in one episode or issue one hundred when Jean sacrificed herself to save the team and become the Phoenix. She sacrifices herself here again to end the threat now right. of the yes. Phoenix. And, and that, oh, I forgot to mention, you get when she first pops up as the Dark Phoenix, you get the same exact little monologue that she gave as the Phoenix when she first emerged. Mm, as the that's Phoenix, good. Which is, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's but it's good. like totally recontextualized because of just what's happening. Yeah, um, yeah. It, I mean, it's good, man. That's it's just Phoenix saga. It's real good. It's good. It like rolls along. The conclusion is pretty, um, pretty powerful. The one thing there's really I've no got... wasted space. I would okay, say as so well. the the one thing that I kind of don't like there's there's some subtextual stuff I want to talk about that I I might have some reservations about. But the one story beat thing that I think might be a little um, unnecessary to me is this big fight at the end on the moon. Um, the actual like fight between the X Men and the rest of the Imperial Guard uh-huh. kind of felt like I was just like, okay, just get to it. Like I don't, I don't care. Like I don't care that Colossus is fighting a like a woman. You hate Imperial Guard right fights, apparently. This I is mean, twice. It, I, I actually, I don't think it's that bad of a fight. It just feels like a distraction, and it's like there, there had to be a better way to like get to the same thing without like. I mean, it's either you know, that or you put her in the courtroom, the cosmic courtroom. I think that would have been better. We also just the had debate thing. We actually just had like issue after issue of lots of action, and I think it would have been fine to turn this into a trial. And then, like, you could have uh, had this be a trial. Yeah, and then you she could gets say that, except and then you're wrong snaps. because the the fight on the moon <laughs> is pretty iconic. Like them, I mean, them fighting for their, literally thing, for like, Jean's life is, I think, more drama filled than the. I don't know, in a pseudo intellectual posturing of of a cosmic eye, you know, yeah. as her space yeah, yeah. lawyer. I, I don't think that would have the same impact at all. Because then, then uh, what? Yeah, the end maybe is it just, just to... is what? How does Jean die? Well, I, I think she's, like <laughs> she sent. I mean, she gets sentenced as guilty and goes to get executed, and then pops out as the phoenix, like, and you know, halts her execution and breaks yeah. free, and then you can kind of have things play out in the same way. No, nah, I got it, no problem it, with the with the moon fight. Okay, I mean that, that's good. I'm glad it I'm, I'm glad it worked for you and everyone else. And I have no problems if it worked for you, the listener. So please don't email me about. It. <laughs> can't believe it. I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. No, I I uh, yeah. It for me it just like it killed the pacing and it killed the tension 
of this because um, I was just like, okay, like I don't, I don't care. Like angels fighting a, a giant man in a machine suit. Okay, whatever. Like get to what matters here, which is the real stakes. Like because it just felt like the Imperial Guard are not the enemy you're interested in at that point. Um, I would agree with you there. I, I think that actually is probably the problem they've had twice now. Is they they just show up and they look weird and mysterious, it's and, not even, but you don't you know, know anything it, about them. There's no attachment. This isn't even uh, again. It's not like this fight specifically is bad, or that the Imperial. I actually think the Imperial Guard are interesting looking. At least some of their powers are interesting. Sure. It's literally just like it just feels like a, a distraction from the main event to me. But that is that is a very minor nitpick. Um, okay, so I want to talk about what this kind of means for Gene, because I think, actually, I think my biggest, like, subtextual problem with this is that Gene does not get to be the, like, focus of her own story here. I think that's kind of a problem. Well, who's, um, the, who's the focus? Cyclops. Cyclops watching her is much more the, the like, like, the point of view. Specifically the way the action is presented here? No, not action through everything that Gene is going through. So, like, Jean is being ambushed, she's, like, dealing with all these powers, etc. We spend way more time in Cyclops' head watching her deal with this hmm. than we do with Jean Grey. So, like, Jean Grey, if this is genuinely just, like, a outside power that takes over her body, mm-hmm. right, if this is the Phoenix Force and it's taking over her body and causing her to commit all these horrible crimes, then she's really the victim of all this, and she was definitely the victim of Jason Wingarden, right? But we don't get a strong sense of that from her point of view. And I think that's kind of a problem that she doesn't get like the agency to be like even the the like be the voice of her own victimhood in this. That sci- it's all about like Cyclops's anguish at watching this happen to her. Um, yeah, I I because I, I also heard like another further take of this that like um, you know this is an expression of uh, like a burgeoning sexuality. Right, because that that kind of is somewhat tied into it. As Jean Grey progresses into like becoming the Phoenix, she's actually becoming more like sexually adventurous. Like mm-hmm. she's more assertive with uh, Scott. When they go to a disco, she's like, "This place is vile, but I kind of like it." Like she yeah. is having this kind of like sexual awakening thing. And I think I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that like this is some kind of weird um, puritanical like woman being punished for their like sexual awakening or sexual freedom i don't Mm -hmm. i've read that before that this is like problematic because of that i don't really buy that but i do think it is kind of a problem that she doesn't get to be centered more in her own story right like it is more about other people reacting to her than about her own experience here okay okay and that's not that's not one one thing that that i did as i was reading through this is there's a there's like an expanded edition you can do, which is mixing in the classic X-Men issues that Claremont wrote um, later in the decade, yeah. in the 80s, yeah, yeah. that sure. that actually are very gene-centric issues. Um, cool. So I, I think that is, you know, it's a cheat of sorts, right? Saying, sure. well, if you read yeah. these extra things that were published oh, I'm seven sure, years I'm sure later. It's, it's, yeah, because I'm sure other people talk about this more and like it might get right. Yeah, but, but I, just one thing those clarify for me is, well, one, it gives me it gives you a way better sense of like what's happening with Jean and what she's thinking yeah. about this than these issues can quite do because they're moving so quickly. Um, it also does give seven years retroactively of the authors perhaps own uh, ideas of like what are the things that still need to be said regarding yeah, the Dark sure. Phoenix saga. And yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's an admission of everything you just outlined or just a coincidence, but Claremont clearly had the sense of like, I need to have Gene react to this more 
and right, and deal yes. specifically with being Phoenix more because we didn't get to see enough of that. So those issues, which I I put up in a Dark Phoenix Saga reading order on Comic Book Herald, um, they they very much do what you're describing, which I, yeah. I, maybe that's an admission in of itself of saying that wasn't as clearly done here in the actual text. In the, in I the mean, I touched a, a part of that, I think, is gendered. And, I mean, the, the part of why I have a problem with this is because that is like a continuing problem is that women don't get to be the like center of their own stories in mm-hmm. Marvel Comics over and over again. We've seen this a ton where like is more about the man experiencing what's happening to the woman and their anguish over it, right? That is like fridging 101. I definitely uh, don't. I mean, I know you're you're a little more you're not coming down super hard necessarily, but no, like no, no, the no. Gene Scott romance is really the heart of this story. Yes, and it feels totally. like a Gene and Scott romance, not yeah. just no, I, a romance I get that. as no, told by Scott. No, no, I think that is good. I think that's good. I think it's literally the fact that like she's kind of victimized through this whole thing first by Jason and then by the fact that she has this Phoenix Force thing and we don't really get much from her point of view we just get a lot of Cyclops being worried and upset for her a lot less of what's going on in her head except for the occasional I mean we, we get some like I don't think this is you know I don't think this is an atrocity where it's like there's absolutely none of that we get one scene where she goes back home as the Dark Phoenix um and like visits her family and yeah. kind of freaks out on them. It's pretty interesting. But I think like, but that's also the Dark Phoenix, not Jean Grey. And that line is kind of fuzzy too. So it's like, I just, I just feel like we're not hearing enough from non-manipulated Jean Grey and her, you know, like feelings about this entire thing. I feel like that um, in 137, the pre, the, the, the night before they get into that big fight where they have to defend her for the trial. Yeah. I think we get, I feel like we get a little more, uh, of the thought process of like Nightcrawler, Beast, and Wolverine thinking about Jean Grey and what she's done than we do about Jean Grey and what she's done, you know? Like, we get everyone else's thought about this and not hers. Um, yeah. You should, re- and you I, should and read I, those classic X-Men issues. Yeah. Um, I'd be, I'd yeah, be yeah. curious if that addressed. Because yeah, I, I actually think that, it's uh, like, it's so clearly in my head does address what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess that would be hard to pull apart if you had read them mixed in together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that aside, like, I think that's worth calling out and worth noting um especially like from the you know the angle of like this being kind of a trope in telling stories about women but that aside this reads real good and this is maybe the best comic we've read so far i don't know if it's my favorite um, but this this might the be best the best ex- like, the best extended the best extended arc the best I mean, arc right? i, I mean like uh, I, I guess rage of I the love, panther is uh, see i like is I like love a Pan- top of the tier for us i think um i love that any but of the like Thanos shaggy stuff. right like i think Panthers is it Panthers Panthers Rage or Rage of the Panther? I'll I'll accept either doesn't, answer. Doesn't matter. Panthers Rage is uh I love that. Like, I think that's great. But that's also like this big sprawling shaggy mess kind of, yes, right? Like yeah. that doesn't feel that is not a t- nice like tight story. This is this feels so like I said lean and then like, probably just so like all the fat trimmed off. Like Spidey final chapter gives you three issues, fairly tight. Actually extremely yeah. tight. Um especially for Silver Age. Yeah, just nothing nothing else feels like this char- well characterized this like intricate, like such such a, a little puzzle box. Well, like, and even and, and Starlin's cosmic together. stuff is the other stuff that I like, you know, on that level, but even that it's it, comparing it is kind of goofy because it's like it's not building for anywhere near as long as X-Men has been. Like this has no, been brewing yeah. in the pot for, you know, at least 5 years. And I mean, so. I I love the like the themes and the aesthetic of that, 
but like not necessarily the storytelling like there's some storytelling stuff i like there but that's really just about like that's just this like fascinating world we get to live in for a while this is just like yeah this all feels like big consequential storytelling and it is like there are probably i mean this this is setting up groundwork for the x-men forever right like there's stuff that i'm reading like last week's x-men in 2020 january 2020 last week's issue of x-men is playing off of this stuff that it gets introduced here right yeah and that's what i was saying at the start is it's amazing how much this introduces that just will never die that is just a formative part of of the text in the same way that giant size x-men number one is right it's just like it just becomes like oh this is a thing we talk about and we don't even have to describe it you know, like, yeah. like, and, like and not even like just the, the broad strokes, like specific scenes. There's many specific scenes here that we're going to just see over and over again because they are like iconic touchstones of X-Men history. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Good. Good. All right. Cool. Stuff. Good job, Chris. Good job, Chris. Good job, John. Good job, Terry. Good job, Jim Salakrup. And uh, I think maybe Louis Simonson editing at this point. I don't know if she's on the title yet. Uh, good job, readers, making it through 1980. Next yeah. week, we will be Thanks moving into up. 1981. So look for those reading lists in Baron the show notes. Blood. Baron Blood is first on that list. And uh, again, you can find all the reading lists in the show notes or over on patreon.com slash year. Our poll for this year for 1980, as we're sharing way too late in the episode and I have to go is uh who would be the best marvel president oh yeah i actually have to put that up heroes who would be the best president of the marvel universe of the marvel heroes okay no write-ins no write-ins allowed this is not actually a democracy it's fine if you write in dave doesn't run the patreon you can write in i I just i just gotta say just gotta say chris claremont is going to follow up the dark's phoenix saga this incredible story next year with days of future past mm-hmm. like what a wild run yeah, yeah. Days of future we're not past, done with the right good up. stuff like it's just talk about like not resting on your laurels Ugh. head over to patreon.com if you want to support us even a dollar a month really helps um we are we dip down below our 500 dollars mark to continue doing the my ultimate show we've had a couple new patrons this month and we're actually pretty close to uh to getting back up there again so i think like a couple more patrons we'd uh, we'd be right back able to start recording that show again really appreciate it um and if you're not able to donate uh a review on apple Podcasts would be greatly appreciated we have had a couple this year which is very nice i just got notified of one today so thank you all righty thanks everybody for listening music for the show is by disaster piece thanks disaster piece for the tunes and as always we will see you next year see you next year